This is a news laundry podcast and you're listening to NL Hafta. अंग्रेज अपना लगान और न्यूज लॉन्ड्री अपना हफ्ता कभी नहीं छोड़ते वेलकम टू अनदर एपिसोड ऑफ हफ्ता फ्रॉम एन एक्सट्रीमली पोल्यूटेड डेली थिंग्स आर गेटिंग डायर हेयर एंड इट इज डिसग्रेसफुल नॉट मच इज बींग डन अबाउट दैट वी शेल डिस्कस दैर एन लिल बिट ऑफ डिटेल वी गिवन अनफ टाइम टू इट ऑन हफ्ता बट देर ऑलवेज नीड्स टू बी मोर टू बी सेट ऑन दिस टूडे ऑन द हफ्ता ऑन द पैनल वी हैव मनीषा पांडे हेलो मेहराज हेलो मधु त्रेहन आनंद वर्धन ज्वाइंस अस from bihar hi anand hello yes and we have joining us also on the phone line alok prasann kumar hi alok hi 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 anand hi everyone so i shall just introduce our guest who is not a hafta regular alok prasann kumar he is a senior resident fellow and team lead at vidhi karnataka you may have read his columns in the economic and political weekly he has a monthly column there his areas of research include judicial reform constitutional law urban development and law and technology he graduated with a ba llb from the nalsar university in 2008 and got obtained a bcl what is a bcl alok It's actually a master's in law, but I because see. Oxford University is Oxford University, they decided to call it a bachelor in civil law. <laughs> it's not a bachelor's degree, and it's not in civil law, but it's it's Oxford, so they decided to call it that. Okay, because they have different. I'm sorry, all again. Yeah, okay. exactly. Yeah. I see. And then you write for outlets such as Hindu, Indian Express, Scroll, Quint, and Caravan. You practiced in the Supreme Court and Delhi High Court, and currently you co-host. The Gantantra podcast on IVM podcast. Welcome, Alok. Pleasure to have you on. Thank you. My pleasure. My my pleasure. My pleasure to be on this podcast. Also, just giving a little note to our subscribers and listeners, you can just delete our app. You should consume us from the web app. Uh, we have a migration happening. Our new CMS is going to be kicking in soon, and we'll have an all new website within 2 months but before that you'll see some changes happening already and then the new app will take some time to get completed but till then we recommend you listen to us only through the web and not through our app until our new app is ready also pay to keep news free no matter which pl- podcast platform you're listening to us from come to newslaundry.com go to the top right hand corner click subscribe and pay to keep news free we take no advertising because when the public pays the public is served when advertisers pay advertisers served support independent media now manisha what are the headlines before we get into the first thing i know we're going to go into ayodhya which happened the day after we recorded last week but other than that what else So uh, the Supreme Court has referred the matter of women entering the Sabri Mala Temple to a larger seven-judge bench. Last year, they had basically said that women could enter. There was a review petition filed. After which, Supreme Court said that uh, we are not going to stay on our judgment, but we are going to refer it to a larger bench. And interestingly, they also said that this is not just about Sabri Mala. This is also about women's in- entry to other places of worship. So, okay, this could bring in matters of the Uniform Civil Code. Uh, Supreme Court also has rejected review petition uh, on the Rafael verdict. and uh, they have said that uh, they've also the clo- they have also closed the defamation case against rahul gandhi which led our news channels to say ki modi ji pure hain pure hain <laughs> of course the big 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 uh, news of the week has been the ayodhya verdict where the hindus are going to get the disputed site there will be a trust which will build the temple and five acres of land should be would be given to the sunni waqf board at a spot in ayodhya but it hasn't been decided where right then there was a maharashtra government formation Yeah, Which? there's still a lot of intrigue there. Uh, the currently it's under president's rule, but uh, Pawar has said that NCP and Sena and Congress are going to come together and form a government which will last for the next five years. 
There, what there, else was uh, there? There? W- there was also the JNU protest that got a lot of news. Students were protesting against hikes uh, for the mess and hikes in the hostel room charges. There was a lot of, I think, two to three days of protests. Uh, so no, it's did been the ABVP and the leftists come uh, unite in this? I think yeah, so, yeah. yeah they were yeah. all on the same page on this yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a common student's protest. But there's a partial rollback. There was a partial rollback, uh, but... Which is when we thought the news would die, but then there were images of graffiti all over JNU, which again brought it back into news. And apparently Swami Vivekanand's statue was kind of, there was stuff written underneath it. Uh, The other big story was Kartarpur Corridor. Uh, The Prime Minister went there for the inauguration. Uh, Sidhu gave a speech in his typical Sidhu style. Also in other news, the economy is sinking. After Moody lowers India outlook to negative, for the first time, I think, in what, how many decades are... Industrial output, uh, no, the industrial output shrunk in eight years, but there was also a dip in consumer spending for the first time in four decades. So that doesn't look too good. And um, Atish Tasir, OCI having been revoked, has been, well, there's been a letter by many writers of major fame, huh, who have, who are urging the Indian government to give him back his OCI Orhan card. Orhan Pamuk and... Such as who? N- Orhan Pamuk, the Nobel laureate, yeah. All right. And he's also said that he's going to challenge this in the court. I see. In fact, we have an email from a subscriber about this. Then the Delhi government's claim that air pollution level reduced by 25% is false. Greenpeace India has said, according to their report, Saurabh Bhardwaj of Amadi Party has said that the centre in Safed David to the Supreme Court has said it is under oath that pollution in Delhi has reduced. So therefore it has reduced. For, <laughs> for once they're agreeing with the central and government. And as we speak, uh, we're witnessing again one of the worst days of pollution in Delhi. It's hit close to 900, 700 at various places and it's absolutely grey and pathetic. Yeah. Uh, in fact, we, and this is not a joke, seriously, from next year we're planning that the news laundry will shift operations out of Delhi next year for two months. Meanwhile, the inv- enforcement directorate investigates the son of the election commissioner who disagreed with the poll code. This is Ashok Lavasa's son. Abir Lavasa has a company in which he is a director. It's being investigated. And this is after they had investigated first his role in some other directorship, right? Yeah, they have been writing to a lot of departments asking for his old rec- records and stuff. So in in amazing coincidences, anyone who kind of has something un, you know satisfactory, unsavory to say about Mr. Shah or Mr. Modi ends up under some sort of investigation. <laughs> yeah. But first, let's talk about the biggest news of the last weekend to now was the Ayodhya judgment. So before we come to Alok, who has written a piece in the first post on this, which the link is below, or if you can check it out. The, the, what, what exactly was said? Alok, lay, us, lay the context and tell our listeners what you thought was wrong with the judgment. On the judgment, right? Um, the court sort of dismisses all the extraneous petitions in this case. The court basically makes it a simple contest as to whether the Hindu party, which is almost representing the, uh, the idol of uh, Rama, or the Muslim parties represented by the UP Sunni Waqf board, whether they have proved their claim to the title of that particular property. And not just those 2.77 acres that are disputed. But the whole 60 odd acres of the land, which is the Ram Janmabhumi. Now, what the court says is that, look, the adverse, sorry, let me very quickly explain what adverse possession means. Adverse possession basically means that if I am openly occupying and possessing a piece of property and nobody has challenged me and the owner also doesn't care, 
after a period of about 40 years, as per the law, the property has become mine. So even the owner can't take me out if for 14 years, I have said I, I own this land, the, uh, the owner hasn't challenged it, and therefore I, I own the entire land. So therefore, that's how I establish my claim, either the property becomes mine. So, so that's 14 years. You're saying, you're saying the cutoff for that is 14 years. Yeah, the cutoff for that is 14 years. Assuming that 14 years is met over here. All right? okay. Let's again both parties trivially meet the requirement of 14 years. Now, the thing is, it's not a default, right? It's not like if two people are claiming uh, from, uh, from the same property on the basis of adverse possession, if one doesn't prove it, the other automatically gets it. That's mm. not true with property disputes. Whoever is claiming that property has to show the evidence, has to you know, show all the documents in the title and whatever and say, this is, before the court says, yes, this person owns the property. So the bird, now, obviously, the... there's not going to be a title deed in this case saying, this was owned by this person, that was owned by this person. So the court has to pretty much go through all the historical facts, has to look through all the, you know, uh, the materials which shows who actually controlled the property and therefore decide the case. So what you're saying is, the burden of proof Falls on both people. That's what you're saying. Yes. Not just on one. Yes. Right. Oh. Yes. So the burden of proof is on both people. So it is not like, you know, uh, just because the Muslim side fails, the Hindu side wins automatically. That's not true. Both sides have to prove this claim. Now, what the Supreme Court has said is quite puzzling. The Supreme Court has said, look, the major part of the property, the 60-odd acres of it, the Muslims never disputed since 1857. Okay, the Hindus were in occupation of it. But the crucial 2.77 acres, which the Babri Masjid sat on, the was on before it was demolished, they said it was always disputed. But because the whole thing is one property, they're giving it to the Hindus. Now, to me, this is a judicial plate of hand. You are basically sort of making a few logical leaps without establishing what legal principle allows you to give entire title to the entire property based on like, okay, you know, majority of it you've been holding. That is the legal technicality of it. And the larger problem is this, and other commentators have also pointed out, the text that the court uses to judge the claims of the Hindu parties and the Muslim parties seems very different. It seems almost that the bar for the Hindu parties was much lower than the bar for the Muslim parties. Can you explain that? Which, why, why is that? Which, which, which sort of means to say that for the Hindu parties, the fact that they believed that that part was that that actual part of the property was theirs, they somehow considered sufficient. Notwithstanding the fact that you know the core of the Hindu claim to this property was two illegal acts, and the court is very cognizant of these illegal acts. Right. I mean, yes. we can't deny the fact of the that there was a mosque. The court also does not deny. It. We can't deny the fact that Muslims are offering namaz on that mosque, you know, since eighteen fifty-seven. We can't deny that, you know, they, they had a claim to that particular part of the property. But the court seems to sort of say that, look, Hindus generally believe that this is theirs, so they were giving them the whole thing. And that is, to me, what really is a shocking thing. Because the two key things which really strengthen the Hindu case, right, and when I say strength, I don't mean in the legal sense, is the fact that the idols were placed in the, the middle, under the middle dome in 1949, and, of course, the destruction of the three domes of the Babri Masjid. The court recognizes that both of these particular acts were illegal. But at no point of time does it even address to itself the question, am I letting someone take advantage of illegality? If I want to move slightly to the side, there is a principle in family law which basically says that 
if you have committed murder, you can't inherit that person's property. So, for instance, uh, even if I uh, commit the murder of a person who might have, from whom I might have inherited the property, once I'm convicted for it, I cannot inherit that property. The law prohibits me from doing that. No one is allowed to take advantage of their own wrong in the law. It's a principle that applies. So what you're saying is here, the, they have taken advantage of their own illegal act of destroying the mosque and therefore because exactly. now there's nothing there. So hypothetically, yeah. if the mosque still stood, would the court have said, okay, now take it, destroy the mosque and build your temple? Basically, that logic is... There is, there is, there is no way they would have done that. There sure. is no way the court would have said, Oh, well, you know what? And even though the mosque has been used as a mosque for all these years, and the only reason it has been stopped is because of a claim raised by Hindus, sure, we're giving you the mosque. I mean, there is no way that is happening. Right. Right? So, pretty, so but what, what the court has pretty much gone by is that, ah, oh, look, you know, we don't want to change the facts on the ground. So, you know, uh, I mean, it, it, it's a cop-out of a judgment, right? It's sure. a cop-out of a judgment. Let me come to you, Maharaj. What is your view? What is your take on this? And how is it covered? I mean, the legal aspect of it has been covered like from all angles, you know, as Alok also did brilliantly. And we have some pieces up on the website also, which you can read. What I want to talk about is basically what it means for Muslims. Hmm. So the day the judgment came, we did a ground report from Ayodhya. So Ayush, our uh, correspondent, spoke to this one person called Shabir Ali. He's 75 years old. He witnessed the destruction of the Babri Masjid. And after that, the car civics went around Ayodhya, killing Muslims and setting houses on fire. So he says he ran when he saw these guys coming. So he ran into a graveyard and hid in an open grave. Hmm. So if you want a metaphor for the condition of Muslims in India right now, that's it. Merely to survive, they have to pretend to be dead. And this judgment, what does it say? Basically, it's like a full stop to this whole chain of events that started in 47, then Gujarat 69, Bhagalpur, Assam, Gujarat again, Mumbai 92, the destruction of the Babri Masjid. Nobody has been punished for any of that. And now you come to this and you say, okay, now let's settle this dispute. This was yours, but we are giving it to somebody else. Basically telling Muslims, okay, you are second class citizens, accept it with grace. Hmm. And the rhetoric that has come from the BJP and even though like Congress and other parties is basically saying, Simo, accept it with grace. So what's the big deal? Hmm. We, are, we are doing this for peace. Let justice be. But if there's only peace and not justice, peace without justice is peace of the graveyard. Hmm. Well, what's the point? Right. I had a provocative little thing, nugget that I wanted to discuss. Shivam Vij wrote a piece, I think in the print, saying that what happened in Maharashtra, context listeners, Maharashtra, no government is formed. It is president's rule. While the BJP is the single largest party, they cannot form a government without the Shiv Sena. Yeah. The Shiv Sena says, we will not support you because Uddhav Thakre thinks that they've been treated very badly and he wants to break Amit Shah's arrogance. Meanwhile, uh, NCP did way better than they had thought Mr. Pawar's resurrection. So they are also kingmakers and Congress is like kind of figuring out So now it appears that the Congress, the NCP and the Shiv Sena will get together and form a government where for two and a half years, there'll be the Shiv Sena chief minister. For two and a half years, there'll be the Nationalist Congress party chief minister from Mr. Pawar's party. And for all five years, there'll be a deputy chief minister of the Congress party and they'll also get the speakers. Aisa koi formula ho Now Shivam Vij has said that this was a trap laid by Amit Shah which is why he's letting it happen because he could have prevented it from happening. And if this 
survives five years, they begin to see all these, you know, corrupt opportunists got together. Mahamilavat. Mahamilavat, and therefore they gain. If it doesn't survive five years, he says, see, without BJP, no one can survive five years. So both ways, he's gained. It'll be like Karnataka Redux. And in the short run, the yeah, and it'll be like Karnataka Redux. And in the short run, these guys may have gained, but in the long run, BJP is gained. I think it's complete nonsense. <laughs> I want to know. <laughs> first of all, I want to know any politician who's thinking long term. Show me a CEO other than News Laundry who's not thinking quarter on. I'm talking about public limited company. If you're a fucking public limited company, you have to see your next quarter's fucking earnings, how you are doing on the stock market, and give results. Nobody's thinking long term. How is my company doing? You'll do ten lochas to make sure that your stock doesn't fall. I believe that's how the leaders of today and political parties think. I don't think anyone has any clue of long term because genuinely no one has any clue of long term. What happens tomorrow? The Lehman moment. Let you keep doing all your Mahamilavat and all you're yeah, going to lose. I think it's a bit much to think it trap laki aoga. I mean that's crediting Amit Shah with like seriously Chanakya like qualities. But I don't think he could have predicted how NCP Congress she, like the three different quite even, mercurial parties at play. I don't think he could have thought that now they'll come together and then even if he could have thought of it, does anyone think that long term in politics? I do. I genuinely don't believe anyone thinks that long term. No, I think they just care about forming the government, and if they yeah, it's immediate. I mean, it's it's like a public limited company. Like I said, what's your next quarter going to look like? That's all there is. Also, I think the problem with this kind of I'm not criticizing this piece particularly. I'm saying in general, this kind of political punditry it misses a very important point. This horse race kind of analysis. What I was talking about, like I think a couple of weeks ago, that political, social, and economic power in this country is concentrated with this small band of. A population, upper caste, upper class population, and this proves it. Shiv Sena rabidly criminal killed a lot of Muslims in 1992. NC and Congress supposedly secular, great parties, and now they are aligning together as if like there's no difference between the two. Hmm. And Karnataka, you have 19, 17 uh, MLAs from Congress and JDS joining BJP. Yes, the yes. ones who are disqualified. Yes, exactly. I mean, there's it's the same for them. Sure. So, what is the big deal if like two thousand Muslims die on the way? So, no big deal. Right. What do you think, Anand? Does anyone think long term yes, or yes, not? Uh, I completely agree. See, uh, I have uh, used it as a cliche in my writings also that in politics, uh, um, the immediate always trumps the essential. Right. So, uh, so uh, what uh, is see what are the imperatives for uh, both uh, the three uh, I think Sip Shina and CP and for Congress it is very important that to break the momentum of the BJP so uh, they they would go the extra mile to break the momentum so breaking momentum is important in electoral politics and BJP see. Um, Being in a comfortable position nationwide, but uh, if Mr. Rich thinks that he they are eyeing uh, long term, his logic must be that uh, being comfortable, the perception game, uh, they they are comfortable enough to look at the perception game, uh, right? For, for nationally, but you see what are the, the logistics political logistics i mean with which uh, the opposition is working opposition is working with the imperative of breaking momentum a big state bjp losing a big state uh, like maharashtra hmm. would, would be would be uh, a kind of you say speed breaker kind of thing and also uh, this thesis assumes that in 5 years they won't do anything that can make them attractive 
which is one hell of an assumption i mean ah no no only very very say uh, very fanatically ideologically driven parties which have a very poor ideology and no uh, say pragmatism this script works but that is no longer true for any, any parties, political party yeah. in the world right i mean it's a cliche that a week is a long time in politics yeah but it's true also yeah, yeah. Uh, now tell us mehraj what happened in jnu so on 28th of october the jnu administration updated the hostel manual what they said is they increased the hostel fees by about 1000% there was a dress code for everybody whoever comes to eat in the mess they'll be appropriately dressed there was the boys and girls can't go to each other's hostels there's an 11 pm curfew hmm. now first problem what the students are saying is the committee that did this they are supposed to have a representative from the students union when no they such. make the decision there was none second uh, thing is then when they started protesting against this their thing is the single seater room the current the rent was 20 rupees a day it has been it was increased to 600 similarly for a double seater room the rent was 10 rupees and it was increased to 200 rupees and they introduced a new something called utility charges it's for electricity service charges and part 1700 bucks and there's a one time refundable uh, security mess security which was 5500 rupees for a year and they increased it to 12000 uh, rupees so overall it comes it goes from 2740 rupees a year to 30100 rupees a year right so the jump is about 999% and not just in percentage in absolute basic purchasing power terms also it's exactly so that that is the thing so students with a family income of less than 2 lakh rupees get a 2000 rupee grant per, per month but 40% of the students have family incomes less than even 1.5 lakh rupees right so how are they going to pay for it yeah yeah so and like jnu is one of the few universities that has people from really underprivileged backgrounds doing pursuing really higher education like and such smart smart kids yeah. so when this thing started they asked vice chancellor to come and talk to them let's figure this out he didn't come so what they did is they filed a missing persons complaint at the vasantgunj station <laughs> i see and they put a poster uh, posters all over the university hmm. vice chancellor is missing really funny like with really funny pictures really, really smart and because the administration had sent a show cause notice to some of the protesting students so these guys the students union sent their own show cause notice to the vice chancellor it's really funny i have to read it mm-hmm. a little bit from it so it says it has been found that you the vice chancellor have been found to be involved in anti student activities then it says a lot of stuff and then says in addition to these you have not replied to multiple attempts at communication from the from this office in this matter this is an act of indiscipline and misconduct <laughs> <laughs> for due process of natural justice your reply should reach the competent authority latest by 4th of november failing which it will be presumed that you have nothing to say in your defense and the competent authority will be free to take appropriate action against you and it's signed competent authority jnu students union Really, really And smart. And actually, people. after the fee hike, JNU is going to be one of the most expensive universities uh, higher for ed- higher education. Way more expensive than BHU, Pondicherry University, Vishwabharati University, like a bunch of even DU. So it's actually going to be more expensive than my these universities. Um, I mean, when I was in college, my annual fee was sixteen hundred bucks. One thousand six hundred was my whole salary fee. Um, so of course, I mean, we all have. 
you shouldn't pay, be paying anything for education for healthcare it should be free uh, yeah i mean of course in in a country like india yeah. that's a far cry but i i think now coming to this that whole it that there was a, there's a statue of vivekananda that still hasn't been unfurled it is wrapped up in a saffron cloth below that some students had written bhagwa jalega yeah and something else and they fuck sort of said, and, which is like i mean it's nothing it was yeah and that became this whole talking point at prime time which was a disaster but uh, yeah so so that's basically what happened on that let me again start with anand since he's not here did you see this news what is your take is it an unreasonable hike or do you think this whole um, and of course smita prakash's tweet we'll discuss that as well okay uh, so uh I have two points. I wanted to write a piece on it, but I thought it's just uh, one thought. I cannot stretch it to a piece. I two things. First is that one. There was a um, report in NDTV on NDTV website, and it had a photograph of a girl in Jenu who was there to study Pashto, Pashto language, and she is reading a book, uh, Indian Polity. Uh, which, which uh, by look of it looks like a popular guidebook for civil services examination. So uh, that is indicative of a lot of things. Second is, I uh, think that uh, it is not only a genuine thing uh, in the EU, in Allahabad University, in Pakistan universities. Humanities, postgraduate research, postdoctoral research. Now, you, if you see, I, I have. lived uh, half of my life there so it's uh, basically you are doing different things in name of pursuing a course so uh, when this old rhetoric comes that uh, this is denial of some kind of great intellectual activity uh, i don't buy that argument but okay yes there are practical concerns in life which have to be taken care of one has to make a career so if a state is facilitating a subsidized course state even if you are not doing the thing that you are there for okay i that's also okay with me second thing is that there is a lot of jealousy among uh, other because of the uh, difference because of the difference in the facilities that universities like if you especially at DU or JNU, or you see hostel facilities in, say, uh, class two cities or even in smaller towns. Now, though the fee may look same, but the kind of facilities they have in the prime locations of a metropolitan city, uh, I think it's uh, not very really just to compare. And for that, uh, there is a lot of hinterland jealousy with that. that so i myself lived in a university delhi university room which was said which would accommodate to five six people and it had a british era fireplace which we never used but anyway and i i was single in that room hmm. i had four times four times meal i don't eat that kind of food at my home that kind of expensive food Mm. and it is like a royal there so uh, to, to, i don't think i did anything I, I, at the end of the year i read 10 for 10 days and wrote an examination and passed that examination to avail my hostel for next year so i myself 
feel guilty of uh, throwing away the, the subsidy for different things. And I was not alone. I can tell you 60-70% of university population in India is like that. No, absolutely. So, I think uh, even Delhi University Jubilee Hall, all those halls people are doing post-grad. But I think that's, uh, even when I go to the US, you know, when we go to these conferences, we do them at the Harvard uh, University, we do it at Columbia. A lot of people come from MIT. I asked them, what do you post-doc on that? I said, how long? You know, five, six years. I said, is that what you want? He said, no, I'll figure it out, but I got a grant, so I'm doing it. Because that's the only way I can stay in the US. So, like Anand said, I don't think it's only a JNU or an Allahabad University or Patna. It's a worldwide phenomenon. That's the only mm. way those guys can afford to live in Boston. That's the only way those guys can afford to live in New York. Otherwise, there's no way they can afford mm. those cities. So, th- mm. that happens the world over. I just find... So, while Anand's point on jealousy may be true and justified, you know, someone who's from a small town gets admission in a small place, they think... But what reason does Rahul Shivshankar Arnab have to be jealous? I mean, you guys have <laughs> I the think, most... I think I mean, there's intellectual jealousy also because these guys are like... And, and you know, this is one thing I'll tell you of the privileged, their lack of acknowledgement of privilege. See, you can't do anything about privilege. That is, that is the world. Someone will have more than others. The best you can do is acknowledge that you have the privilege. And what gets my goat, like even Vivek Agnihotri, he doesn't even understand that being a Brahmin does give you a certain privilege. I went to what is considered by many, although we have two interns in office, by the way, I said, I was asking them to write a note and I mentioned Dune School. They had never heard of Dune School. So I'm amazed that we live in 2019. There are people, college students who've never heard of Dune School. Which is actually good. It's great, I think. (laughs) So, but I, when I went to school, I have friends who drive cars worth 30 lakhs who say, why the fuck should I have to pay such a heavy duty because I want a car worth a crore? I did not avail of any subsidy. I was like, fucker, we paid 12,000 rupees a year for a campus that if we had to pay market rate for, because the Dune School campus, we pay one rupee a year for the lease. If you pay market rate for the campus, our parents will never afford to send us there. Also, if you're driving a one crore car, don't drive it on a road which is funded by like taxpayer. Yeah, then go make your own. Yeah. And that's the thing. I think people who have privilege are not aware that you were also subsidized. Just like we should be paying a tax for every AC, every light that is on in this office right now. Because while we have two air filters running, the AQI outside is killing the kids who don't have, can't afford air filters or even afford a room. Their health has been damaged by our cars, our consumption. So in a sense, their health has subsidized our comfort. If you to quantify each of these, you know, the thing is that I don't know whether... Our privileged are that ignorant, that illiterate, or we just are so used to that the poor are there to serve our needs. All of you listening in, uh, the Chota Hafta, do subscribe so you can listen to the entire Hafta. We will see you again next week with the Hafta. Till then, subscribe, pay to keep news free because when the public pays, the public is served and advertisers pay. Advertisers are served. Thank you. Goodbye. All the News Laundry podcasts are available on Stitcher, iTunes, and any other podcast platform. Please subscribe to News Laundry. Help us keep news independent. To catch all our podcasts on news, pop culture, current affairs and sport, visit newslaundry.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. And subscribe to our YouTube channel.